Welcome to the Ether. Today is Tuesday, December 13th, 2022. Today on the Ether, the Prism Protocol AMA, hosted by Orbital Command. Let's take a listen. And here we are on the hour. It is Dr. Doscoin coming to you live from the Orbital Command account today. We're going to be spending the next hour having a conversation with the team at Prism Protocol. It'll be super informative. It'll be pretty high level, most likely, and I'll do my best to have it distilled into uh, digestible information so that you can leave this space feeling a little more informed than when you first got here. Just currently waiting on our guest to arrive, so just bear with us a moment as that takes place. I'll just use this time as well to send an update within Orbital Command's Discord channel. If you're not already in our Discord channel, it's worth checking out. We have plenty of useful resources that you can access. Uh, you can find the Discord channel just by clicking on the Orbital Command icon and looking in our bio, bio and our links. All right. Hold tight, people. It's great to see a few unfamiliar faces popping up. Usually we get at this stage in the call. There's usually lots of people that I know, but I'm looking around and at the moment, only a very small handful. So... As the space unfolds, if you are enjoying the content, if you are uh, finding it informative, definitely you are encouraged to share the link to this space. Obviously, the more people that know about it and know about uh, Prison Protocol, the more people that can try it uh, for themselves and get to experience it. Yesterday will be Hyperion. Uh, I believe I'm just checking in, in our internal conversation to see if he's jumping on. We are live. We are fantastic. And for anyone that is new to an Orbital Command space, we do these typically twice per week, uh, Saturday nights and Tuesday nights, 8 p.m. UTC, seems to be the standard time. And these are spaces dedicated to informing people about projects that are being built across ecosystems that we care about. If you like what we do, you can always validate, you can always delegate to our validator uh, Orbital Command on Osmo, Terra, Terra Classic, and now on Sane Network. With that being said, I can see Prism has just arrived. I'm going to bring them up on the stage. Speaker. Here we go. That should work. Good morning. Can you hear me there? I can. I'm just going to turn my volume down a bit. It's quite loud where you are. That's in the echo. Go now. How is that? Yeah, it's all right. I don't know how it's coming through for everyone else. Super loud, so I've got my headphones turned right down. Um, but I can't hear you. I can hear what you're saying, so that's the start. Good. I'm getting a thumbs up from Debs. If everyone else can hear uh, Hyperion well, just give us a thumbs up as well. That would be great. 
Hyperion, how are you this morning or night? Where, where, where are you at the moment? What's the time zone? I'm based in Europe, so uh, it is uh, 8 p.m. where we are. So oh, not too bad at all. Fantastic. Is there a way possibly that we can get uh, – it's quite uh, muffly and distorted, your, your voice is coming through. We can still hear what you're saying. It's just a bit crackly. I'm just wondering if there's something that can be done to fix that up a little bit. Hello. Perhaps. Ah, oh, there we go. Speak now. Is that any? Is that any better at all? Yeah, it's a little less abrasive for sure. Okay, um, <laughs> fantastic. Um, so you're over in the UK. Basically, I've just done a quick warm up for the people that have already tuned in. Um, just to say that we'll be speaking with you over the course of the next hour. The plan is to do a bit of a Q and A style, just between yourself and myself, for the next sort of twenty five minutes or so. And then we'll open up the floor and anyone that is listening will be invited to ask questions. I'm sure they'll have plenty as the conversation unfolds, as PRISM is a really interesting project. And so with that being said, what I'll do here is we'll sort of set the, set the foundations a little bit for uh, so that people can understand PRISM if they're not familiar with it. Um, you guys have been doing lots of things at the moment. You, you were in hiding for a while. Um, obviously, you can explain that in a moment. But uh, there's... The Prism Validator, there's a Prism Central Limit Order Book that's, you know, in the works, there's the Prism Hub, the airdrops that have been taking place, the Prism blockchain itself, there's a lot that's happening. And so we're going to get into each of those as the call unfolds. But perhaps to get the people started, uh, would you do a short introduction of yourself and the Prism people, uh, for the people, please? I'm not sure if you're coming through there. Oh, wait, he might have dropped it off. There it is. Prism is requesting to speak again. Let's try that one as well. Okay. Round. I've got you back. Yeah, you disappeared for a second, but you're back. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I guess um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm trying to think what the best uh, what the best summary is. Yeah, obviously. Uh, yeah, after after um, everything that happened with Terra in May, we we went back to the drawing board to kind of reimagine the pool for. I guess in a lot of ways, what we originally wanted it to be, but once we um, you know, started building, it kind of became apparent to us the limitations of, of building on another blockchain and, you know, um, all too, you know, all too painfully kind of, you know, the dependency that we had on something else ended up um, kind of wiping us out when we just started and, you know, we were three months in and it was going, you know, it was going really well and, and we had a great community and, and we build up a lot of kind of activity in TVL and kind of revenue for, for governance token holders. And so we went back to the drawing board, yeah, and, and came up with a new design that involves being our own blockchain, our own Cosmos own, um, and have been, yeah, you know, build, building that really ramped it up quite a bit over the last few months um, to try and, you know, get something out in, in Q1 23. Um, you know, my personal background is that I have always worked in uh, my, my kind of, I guess my career has been in traditional finance, working in derivatives and fixed income um, at kind of JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs. And then, you know, I, I had a fascination with DeFi, mainly started with Anchor Protocol and just because just that resonated a lot with me because of my background and, you know, came up with an idea for Prism to, uh, allow people to separate their yield and their principal, um, you know, and 
uh, ultimately to try and create the yield curves for all major layer one assets to allow people to trade, you, you know, six months worth of ETH yield or swap, you know, a year's worth of atom yield or something like that, which is markets that are super important in traditional finance but don't exist in uh, decentralized finance at the moment. And that is, yeah, that is the that is what we're trying to build with Prism and. Yeah, very excited about the, the new architecture that we have. And we, as you said, we have also set up a validator. We wanted to try and find a way to allow people to, uh, who wanted to, to come with, uh, you know, come with us onto our new blockchain. And so starting up a validator felt like a good way to kind of uh, enable that and allow people to sort of have an opt-in to an airdrop rather than just a, a passive airdrop mechanism and, um, you know, allow, allow us to kind of gauge sentiment and how interested people are to come. And last I checked, it was, you know, we had over, over a couple of weeks, we'd had 1,700 odd people uh, delegate to us and interested in coming to, you know, Prism V2. So that was pretty exciting. And yeah. Hopefully that gives a bit of a a bit of a tour of what you know where we're up to. Certainly, and for the people that might be curious to get involved with that airdrop, uh, is that still available for them? And how would they participate? Yeah, so the, the way we're doing it is you you basically there's three different ways you can be involved. You can either have been a Prism holder in version one, and we announced two snapshot dates, just matching what um, the snapshot dates that Terra used for the, for the Terra two airdrop. Then you can either um, mint C-Luna, which is our liquid staking derivative. And the third option is to uh, delegate to our validator, uh, to the Prism Protocol validator and support the protocol that way. If you were, uh, and so there, those are three distinct options. If you hold any one of those three, you'll be eligible for the airdrop. If you are in the first category of a Prism holder in version one, then you can boost your airdrop by doing uh, either delegating to the Prism validator or um, minting C Luna. So that kind of allows people that uh, you know want to who were in version one who want to actively uh, get involved in version two to get a higher allocation of tokens in version two, and those people that might not want to be so motivated to come to version two because they might still be battle scarred um from what happened from what happened with Terra. They've got a choice uh not not to do that if they don't want to. Perfect. Thank you for clearing that up. And obviously uh you've you've made some big pivots and some big changes that have occurred recently. Uh and the V2 is a new and improved and uh let's say vastly superior in a lot of ways to V1. Uh, and has a lot more functionality due to it being able to employ uh, IBC and ICA and, and uh, go, essentially going cross-chain. Uh, can, we, can we maybe talk about that transition a little bit and how we figured out that this was the best path forward? Yeah, I mean, so on version one, we wanted to, we started off um, splitting Luna and then we wanted to, start and, and we started off with perpetual instruments so you know a yield token that gave you the right to luna's yield into perpetuity and a principal token that was going to give you governance rights um in, into perpetuity and we wanted to create maturities because we wanted to allow people to be able to get their 
period of time. So if you if you sold six months worth of your lunar yield, we wanted you to be able to get back to your original lunar token after six months. Whereas with perpetual instruments, you'd have to keep both parts. So uh, that was that was difficult on Terra for um, for a couple of reasons, including the fact that you need a bespoke AMM to be able to facilitate trading of those assets with maturities. Um, which is which is quite technical, but ultimately it's because if you have the rights to six months worth of yield, then as you come to the end of that time period, uh, that right isn't worth anything because all the yield's been paid out over that six months. So that requires a, a special AMM. I guess one of the other things that was important as well was uh, we wanted to be able to do all large cap uh, layer one assets we think that's the most exciting space to be and if you do that and you're not your own layer one then you're reliant on what assets are already bridged over to uh to terra for example so in in, in terra's case in version one that was uh the ETH that was used in anchor and uh you know bsol i think had just come over but you weren't, we weren't in control of those staking contracts. We weren't, they weren't in the right structure. We needed auto compounding liquid staking derivatives and not um, these uh, yield paying liquid staking derivatives that are, uh, that are kind of bridging over the yield cross chain. So we basically were kind of constrained in terms of what we can do. Whereas now we can create a blockchain, we can create our own bespoke AMM, which is built in at the blockchain level. And it's going to be very different to any, um, very different to any AMM we've seen before, and it's going to uh, provide enhanced yields and capital efficiency for liquidity providers, and it's going to provide um, a lot less slippage and a much better trading experience for um, for swappers. And so, uh, and then also, we're you know masters of you know Prism is master of its own destiny in terms of which assets we end up refracting. So we can we can very easily do all uh, major IBC assets. We can very easily uh, do all their ones that have a bridge over to Cosmos, or it doesn't even need to be a bridge over to Cosmos. Like it can be a specific bridge over to our chain, and uh, so so. You know the the world's kind of our oyster in terms of the assets that we want to that we want to refract now. So those are the big dependencies that we that we managed to solve in version two. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, one of the graphics that you've created in in one of your previous previously written uh, medium articles. And so, you know, just for illustrational purposes, theoretically, you could have the uh, atom. It could be. Solana, it could be Ethereum, it could be Osmosis or Osmo. Uh, it could be an array of any sort of proof of stake tokens that is then able to be uh, is able to interact with Prism to be converted to a C asset or a collateral asset, collateral token rather, um, which is then splittable via the refractor into a P or Y token, the principal or the yield token. Uh, and so there's it just opens up the doors. Immensely. Um, when I first saw this, I was I was very I was just it, it gave me a lot of uh, I felt that sort of hope about for DeFi again. You know, there's just when it comes to ingenuity, when it comes to inventiveness and innovation, I feel like 
earlier this year, and you were around for it too. When when Terra was having its time in the in the sun uh, pre May, it just seemed like every week there was something new being built in DeFi. And of course, the idea of refracting at that point was uh, difficult for many people to wrap their heads around it. You know, at that point in time, and now there's that and more. There's that and so many more options. And of course, um, we can continue to delve into all of that as this sort of unfolds. But why would, just for anyone that's not familiar with uh, like liquid staking in general, uh, why, you know, why would people want to use this in the first place? What's the purpose of it? I guess there's kind of like, basically by splitting a token up into its yield and principal components, you're given multiple different opportunities to, or different, different ways to express different views or manage, manage risks. So if you, for example, uh, you, for example, needed to raise some capital at the moment and you had some, you know, ETH, for example, you could, uh, you could shove your ETH into a money market protocol and borrow against it. And you're risking, um, you're risking, you know, liquidation, or um, and you're kind of having to pay an interest rate there. So you have that you have that option that you could do. Or what could happen in this case is you could say, well, you know, I want to raise some money. I don't want to risk any liquidation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sell the right to six months worth of my ETH yield. So you come to Prism, you split your ETH into a six month yield token and a six month principal token. And you would then sell your six-month yield token, raise some money, or like immediately get money up front for selling your six months worth of your ETH yield. And then after the six months have, uh, have finished, you can take your principal token and you, can, um, and you can then use that to redeem your original ETH. And so you've not taken any liquidation risk there. You've raised money up front. You've kept hold of a principal token that you can freely trade. So if ETH moved, you know, if ETH moved up a load in the meantime and you decided you wanted to sell or take some profits, you have a principal token that you can still trade. And um, if you wanted to, you could try and you know, see whether you could buy it back lower or whatever, or you can freely trade it around. But you know at the end of the term that you can redeem it for the underlying asset. So that's kind of like one way of doing it. You might you might also just random you, you might decide well uh, you know my principal token at the moment is trading at ninety percent of the price of uh, you know the ETH that uh, the amount of ETH that I'm going to get back after six months if I if I've done a six month token so that in in that way you know that if you buy it now at ninety it's going to be and nothing else changes it's going to be redeemable for a hundred in six months time. So that's actually giving you a fixed yield, um, in de- which in DeFi is you know a bit of the holy grail because yields can vary and oscillate so much. So if you have a guaranteed fixed yield that's auto compounding like that, um, it can be quite attractive for for people that want to manage risks to variable or floating yields. And then conversely, if you uh, if you think that ETH yield is going to be a lot higher than the market's currently pricing it, or you think there's going to be a lot of activity, a lot of you know network transactions and gas and all the rest of it, then you might think, well, actually, I think the market's underpricing um, how much yield is going to get paid out over the next six months. So I'm going to buy an ETH yield token, and say you buy it for you know ten cents, you know ten percent of the price, uh, uh, but it, or ten cents, but it actually the yield ends up paying out. 
20 cents over that time, then you've made a hundred percent return. Whereas you'd have made a significantly less just by holding your ETH. So it, it kind of allows you to have these views where you can either raise capital, you can take exposure to a fixed rate, or you can take exposure to, you know, variable rates. So you get more composability, um, which kind of gives you, you know, gives you more flexibility. And that's why these interest rate swaps and fixed yields in traditional finance are such a huge asset class. And at the moment, they're basically a zero in DeFi. So we, we strongly believe that over time, the market composition of DeFi will mirror uh, traditional finance. And so we think that fixed, fixed income um, and interest rate swaps are going to, and yield swaps, as you know, as you'd call them, probably in DeFi, are going to be a, you know, think they're going to be an absolute huge market. Yes, yeah, so that people can kind of gauge the uh, the size of the traditional markets at the moment. What do we because at the moment in DeFi, this sector is, you know, it's negligible. That's written uh, into one of your medium articles. It says, I think, verbatim, uh, that it is negligible comparatively to. Uh, to tra uh, traditional markets, what's the what's the current size of the traditional markets in dollar value? Yeah, so they, um, I mean, so j just fixed income markets alone. Uh, so this is, you know, things like corporate bonds, um, you know, government uh, government borrowing gov and debt. That is a hundred and thirty trillion dollar market, and then. When you uh, look at interest rate swaps and interest rate derivatives as a 500 trillion market, so it absolutely dwarfs the equity market, it dwarfs the options market, it dwarfs all of these kind of um, you know commodities markets, that kind of stuff. So it's 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 by far the biggest market in traditional finance. Yeah, those, it's insane to think that. Anytime I hear any one throwing around the you know trillions hundreds of trillions it's just it's such an unfathomable number you know a billion being a thousand million and then a trillion being a thousand billion it's just it's like how how did it get that big but what we're trying to say here is that where you're at right now and where your position being essentially a first mover in this space uh, it's still super super early so i'm curious to know what your sort of timeline you're looking at uh, for this space to become a lot more popular and actually uh, you know, acknowledged by mainstream. How how long do you think that will take? Um, I don't think so. So, what we're trying to build is something that's easy for easy for retail users to uh, try or, or try and make it as user friendly for retail users to be able to get their head around um, and make it you know friendly and understandable. And easily digestible and then also what we're trying to do is create a product that's institutional grade so we i guess i know i know for a fact from speaking with um market makers and venture capitalists and various other like large institutions when we were doing prison version one that trading uh, these interest rate swaps or these um forward rate agreements was a really big market for some of these uh, crypto lenders, and all of this was done in a centralized way. So we know that we know there's already big institutional demand for these products, but there's no way of them doing it on DeFi. And also, what we know is because, um, you know, what what can say is people were 
people were um, effectively someone if they if they went to one of these lenders and said we're going to park our dollars with you for a year um the lender would say to them okay well if you park your dollars with us for a year if you park you know a million dollars with us for a year we're going to pay you a uh, hundred thousand dollars up front right now and really what they were doing is you know uh, as we know, it wasn't a good at trade at the time, but really what they were doing is just putting the money in anchor um, and trying to make $200,000 in that, in that time period. But if you create an institutional, pro uh, institutional product like this, you're going to allow people to, rather than just take that long-term risk, people are actually going to be able to come in, mint a yield token and principal token and sell that yield token and raise money up front. And so that's going to allow these you know, uh, institutions to recycle risk um, and allow retail users to do the same. And so uh, time, frame, time frame wise, I hope over the next you know, six to 12 months that this market's going to evolve. I think if we can create enough liquidity in prison, then I think you're going to, you know, the institutional demand is definitely going to be there already. And they're sophisticated enough to understand how to use it um, because they've been using these instruments in traditional finance and bilaterally in a centralized way. Um, so I think, I, I think it's interesting. And actually, you know, uh, someone flagged to me the other day, you know, BitMEX have actually just launched an interest rate swap product. So I do think that uh, the, 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 timing is, the timing is exciting. Yeah, interesting. I didn't expect it to be so soon. So six to 12 months, of course, I think that would depend on overall sentiment of the market at that time um, would be would be a big factor. This this year has been brutal. Um, I was, yeah, I sort of thought it was going to be more in years. So you think in the next six to 12 months, there'll be some, uh, some interest and adoption building. I guess my next question then, the next logical question is like, what are some of the challenges that you face then uh, having because it, if it's institutional grade what are some of the challenges you have it have with it being adopted by institutions as a business and also as um just the sector of DeFi overall yeah i think liquidity is a big thing for institutions so they want to be able to they want to be able to trade as as with as for you know with normal users like they want to be able to trade something without it having a huge impact on the price, um, you know, or, or massive slippage that can affect them. So I think that's like one of the key things. I think security is, is, is also, you know, super important. Um, I think people are, you know, rightly, and we've been doing it ourselves, want to scrutinize what the dependencies are and, um, you know, whether there's limitations or weaknesses, um, that are external and out of the control of the protocol. So that's why we kind of want to make this as um, uh, independent as possible and have as few externalities or dependencies as, as we possibly can. Um, and so I think those are, you know, I think those are kind of like the, you know, the major things that, that I guess we've heard when we've, when we've chatted with institutions and, and from our experience. Got it. Um, and just circling back a little bit too for a second uh, regarding the use of, uh, well, just regarding LSDs in general, but with Prism, uh, I'm aware that you have multiple uh, revenue sources, but so that people can understand where their revenue is actually, you know, where it's coming from and how it's sustainable. Are you able to go into a little bit of detail about Prism's revenue sources? 
Yeah, I think so. It's one of the advantages of being a layer one rather than a um, rather than just a DAP on another blockchain. Is you get all the if if you're a general purpose blockchain like um, I guess Solana or Ethereum, then you generate uh, you know network transaction fees generate revenue for you, which gets paid to um, block proposers, and so you have that source of revenue. We we will have that source of revenue as well as a as our own blockchain. But then on top of that, because we have these modules built in at the chain level. So, you know, a fracting module, a swap module. Um, the protocol is also going to generate revenue from those. So every time someone does a swap, that's going to generate, uh, that's going to generate revenue. Every time someone refracts, that's going to generate revenue. Every time um, some yield is collected, that's going to generate revenue for the protocol. So you, you have a, a a system with lots of, lots of knobs and levers that is going to be controlled by governance that's going to allow them to kind of have um, diversified revenue streams. And what we found in, in version one was as you ended up having market volatility, your AMM revenue went up and your, you know, maybe less people were refracting. So you had this kind of like nice offsetting factor. So I think that's what we want to try and carry through, uh, carry through into, into, into version two. And then we're going to, it's going to be a lot more um, governance controlled as it's, as it's own layer one. And so basically governance are going to be able to give get given the decision about what they want to do with all of these collective fees, whether they want to distribute all these fees to, you know, uh, governance stakers. So the fees will be collected in the various different liquid staking derivatives that we have. So they can either vote to distribute all the fees paid in Luna and ETH and Sol and DOT and whatever else um, to them as stakers. So that's like di diversified revenue stream if they want, or they can vote to do a buy back and distribute. So swap all of those tokens for PRISM tokens, and then distribute those to themselves, or they can vote to buy back PRISM tokens and then burn those PRISM tokens to take PRISM out of circulation forever. Um, so they, they kind of like have uh, multiple different options about what, about what they want to do and then multiple different revenue streams that are going to generate the, the, the treasury that's going to give them, uh, that they're going to be able to vote on. Yeah, and touching on the governance portion of it, just to be clear, is it solely the uh, P token holders participating in governance or is there uh, is there another way to participate in governance so so there's two so there's two different things like we'll have a um we'll have a native token uh tbd on what the exact name of the token ends up being um but it will we, there will be an, a native prisms prism or something token and um and that will be controlling governance of the chain and principal, what principal token holders will be able to vote on, that, that's what we're calling proxy governance, um, as we were doing in version one. And what that's going to allow them to do is, if I'm a P Luna holder or a P ETH holder, I'm going to be able to vote on um, Ethereum or Luna uh, governance proposals. So, so it's Prism is going to be the, uh, Prism is going to be, 
voting on governance of our chain, so how the chain functions and the various different parameters that the chain control, you know, governance controls on our chain. And then P assets will be able to proxy vote on the uh, on the underlying asset, whether it's Sol or ETH or, or Luna. Got it. Awesome. Thank you for clearing that one up. Um, yeah, of course, the list here, just directly from the Medium article again, is, you know, there's uh, network transaction fees, fees from Prism's native AMM, which you mentioned before, uh, percentage of the yield assets, uh, the Y asset yield protocol transaction fees and MAV capture. Have you been talking to uh, like the guys at Skip Protocol or um, can you talk yeah, to about exactly. the MAV part of it? For sure, for sure. Um, the, I, you know, I think the I think the positive MEV captures super interesting, and I think there's going to be uh, we are going to have some interesting revenue streams for that on our chain because flash loans are going to be a part of our um our amm which is going to allow any user to uh profit from large arbitrage opportunities and so we want to return mev um revenue to the people that are securing the chain so the you know the stakers so uh, i think it's super interesting what skip skip guys are doing and i think hopefully we're going to be able to partner up on some on some interesting stuff Undoubtedly, yeah. The skip guys, I've had a few conversations with them. They're really great blokes, but I just um I, I I've come to realize that speaking with you and speaking with them are probably my two most uh intimidating conversations that I have. I feel I feel like a very small fish as I listen to uh, them speak and when you speak as well, it's just very uh, obviously a lot of high level stuff. And uh and I'm I just often I'm like, geez, these guys are smart. <laughs> but um what I'd say here is we're arriving at the sort of 35-minute point of the call. As I said, the structure of it, we'd I'd do sort of a Q&A with you uh, and then the floor would be open up to people to ask any questions that they might have uh, had popped up in their minds as the conversations unfolded. And so my invitation now is to anyone that is listening, if you're enjoying the conversation, if you are uh, sitting there with some questions uh, burning in your mind that you'd like to ask, if you are just really unsure about something that's been spoken about and want a bit more of a, uh, a recap on it, and certainly you are invited to put the hand up and I'll bring you up as a speaker. Um, and to avoid, so sometimes when I say this, there's, you know, we will do like a minute silence and wait and then it's just kind of an odd minute where no one puts their hand up. So rather than doing the silence, I'm just going to bring up the first speaker, which is actually already requested. There we go. It's Deebs. Oh, and if you guys haven't been tuning into Deebs' threads lately, uh, you should be doing that. He writes amazing threads. Let's bring him up as a speaker. Dave DeFi writes weekly threads. Uh, you can click his icon and click the follow button and you'll see what I mean. And then after Dave's, we'll bring up uh, DG Vest. Uh, can have the next question. So Dave's, if you can hear me, the floor is yours. Hey, uh, thanks, Dr. Josecoin. Thanks for the introduction there. <laughs> um, and, and thanks, Hyperion, for... For coming up and speaking today i did um have a question so i was a little curious i was looking at one of the graphics in the medium about you know looking at ibc versus non-ibc chains and um while while they're both have outposts you know whether you're looking at something like more like an evm chain versus something ibc um how could you could you expand a little bit more on how user experience might be different there with having to bridge assets um, 
And I think it's said that on non, non-IBC chains that you would not really be minting C assets there. So maybe you can just kind of clear this up for me or anyone else in the audience. Yeah, of course. So I, I, IBC, so what, some of the really interesting developments around IBC recently have been um, or, or what you can do with different uh, Cosmos zones is not just, no longer it's just sending tokens between each other via IBC. Um, you know, which is effectively just a a, uh, a different bridge like Wormhole or Axlar. Obviously, there's there's um, differences in the mechanism, and uh, you know, which are quite technical. But at the same time, it's it's a bridging of tokens. But actually, the big developments um, that are exciting for us are interchain accounts and interchain queries. And so, what interchain accounts are going to let you do is you're going to be able to sit there on Terra or Osmosis, for example, and you will be able to send packages of information or messages to Prism's Prism's chain, and you're going to be able to never leave your Osmosis wallet or Terra wallet or uh, native Terra or Osmosis experience if you don't want to, and you're going to be able to mint a liquid staking derivative you're going to be able to send your liquid staking derivative over to Prism, have it refracted, have your tokens, your P asset and your Y asset sent back to you on Osmosis. You're going to be able to stake the Y asset from, you know, Terra or Osmosis if you wanted to. Um, and if, you know, Osmosis is permission, so I just caveat, uh, probably caveat with that. But you're going to be able to have these... Um, these native experiences because of interchain accounts and interchain queries uh, that, that should should allow you to get all the benefits without ever having to leave the chain, whichever is your preferred chain. And then for um, non-IBC, you don't actually have this. Um, you don't have interchain accounts, but what you will have in the future is um, you'll have generic message passing and general message passing, which are two innovations from Axelar and Wormhole, where that, that's going to allow you to, at the moment with Axelar and Wormhole, you can send over certain layer one assets um, you know, between Cosmos and EVM and, uh, and other chains. But what you're going to be able to do in the future is you're going to be able to send messages. So I could uh, you know, send a message to vote on a Solana proposal via general message passing from Prism's chain. Um, or I could, you know, I could unstake, you know, some C Solana um, by sending a message from Prism's chain in the future. So that, that's, that, the interchain accounts are live at the moment on um, various different Cosmos zones. G- generic and general message passing is a, future thing that's going to be live with uh, Axlar and Wormhole and kind of open up this this um, level of communication that, you, that you, uh, is going to be pretty exciting. I mean, if there's, there's some demos at the moment that Axlar have put out there of EVM to EVM where you're able to do things like cross-chain swaps, which is, you know, it's, it's, it, they've got a demo of, uh, of them doing one. It's super interesting to see. So... That, that that for us is kind of the difference between IBC and non-IBC, but hopefully 
over time as you get generic general message passing, it's going to be uh, you know, their non-IBC non are going to be able to get the fairly seamless user experience or chain agnostic experience that IBC users will be able to get, if that answers the question. I'd also say it took, it, it took like, this was one of those things where when the May crash happened and we went back to the drawing board, you know, it, take, it, it takes a lot of reading to kind of understand um, about all of these different things. So it's not, I remember when the first time someone explained it to me, I was like, yeah, that is a uh, high level. That sounds interesting, but <laughs> I, I definitely need to do some, some self-research. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's pretty powerful. And there's people out there at the moment using things like interchain accounts. Stride is a good example of them. Um, and it, 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 it's, it's going to, it's really something that sets Cosmos apart and it's going to allow, you know, this internet of blockchains thing to really actually be a reality where it doesn't matter what chain you're on, you're going to be able to be interacting with other chains as if you're on that chain. So it's, it should be super exciting as TVL and, and DeFi grows in Cosmos. Yeah, absolutely. Thank, thank you for that explanation. I, I think just, you know, of course, it's great to hear the technical details. Like uh, not everyone is familiar with interchain accounts, but just your broader point there of, of having this native experience on the the chain that you may be comfortable with, and how uh, Prism is is helping you leverage that, I think is um is a great point. Um, and and I'm sure I'll have other questions as we go on, but I I think we have another speaker here, so I will let this person take over. Good afternoon, DJ. Hi, uh, thanks for spending time. I appreciate uh, getting on and give us an update on Prism. Uh, my question is really simple. Um, when you were recounting uh, the sources of revenue for the new chain, um, you mentioned uh, refracting as a source of revenue. And uh, maybe it's going over my head, uh, but could you break that down and how that creates revenue for the protocol? And was that the case in version one, or is there something different here? Is there, are there, I don't recall paying a fee to refract, but anyhow, you can, you can break it down for me. I'd appreciate that. Yeah. So you don't, um, when the protocol starts, fees for things like refracting will be set to zero. Um, and you'll just be paying the native gas. But what we're effectively saying is that the protocol will have all of these parameters, um, all over it that are initially set to zero. But if, um, you know, there's a knob, you know, it's a, no, it's a knob and a dial that's controlled by governance. So if governance decide that, well, hold on, every time someone refracts, maybe we'll, you know, charge them a dollar or something like that. And governance decides that that's the best thing to do. Um, and that revenue goes to the, the native token holders, then they have the option to turn that switch on if, that, if that's what they, uh, they decide they want to do. So that could, be, that could be for anything, refracting, merging, you know, another swap fee could be done, could, could be put on. It's, it's just going to, the aim is to give governance holders maximum flexibility to look at how the system's working and decide whether there are knobs and dials that they want to tweak to um, improve the, 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 the flow or the, or the, you know, the revenue from the system. Great. Thank you. That, that, uh, that makes sense. Fantastic. Thank you for your question there, DG. Again, anyone that, that is listening, if you are sitting there and you have a question, uh, you are certainly invited. 
to come up. We've got another 15 minutes in the call here. Um, while we're waiting, I have still questions of my own. So I will press on with that. And uh, again, if you have a question, jump up. But for the man of the hour, Hyperion, question uh, regarding the, what were we talking about a moment ago? Bridge hacks, uh, or bridges, sorry. And I was just going to say, uh, you mentioned axillary and wormhole, and just wanted to mm, get some perspective on mm, bridges, bridge safety, mm, flow on effects of bridge hacks, and how that could affect Prism uh, downstream. Just saying, as this year has been, as I said, brutal for crypto, and plenty of bridge hacks have occurred. So, can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah. Um... So I guess so. I guess like the bridges that we'll end up using will be uh, IBC for all interchain assets on from IBC enabled zones, wormhole and axlar. Obviously, uh, wormhole got hacked earlier on this year, um, which was uh, which was brutal. And I think there's obviously been a lot of changes that they've made subsequent to that. Um, particularly after jump backfilled as well, the, the the Ethereum that was lost and the Ether that was lost, and then um, yeah, and then Axlar I think is c cementing. It seems to be cementing itself as the uh, I guess like the canonical non uh, or EVM bridge uh, for for Cosmos, and you know was voted in by. Osmosis for their chain. So, and obviously Axlar have their own uh, their own hub in Cosmos as well. So, it's 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 hard. Like security on bridges is something that is is super important. If you're doing something cross chain, you can't really you can't really avoid it. So, you need to try and make sure that you're picking the most secure um, secure chain uh, secure bridge. The way that we've tried to design the protocol. Is going to allow us to <laughs> interchange where our assets are bridged, so we won't necessarily have to uh, have um, specific assets bridged to one specific uh, bridge, such as Wormhole or Axlar. So, if we want to, if there's some reason to change, um, then I think that uh, then then we're able to do that. I guess as a, as, as a general thing, like I, I you know. Bridges uh, feel like they're one part of DeFi, where in a weird, you know, in a weird way, you are kind of taking counterparty risk, or, or not, not that it's like bilateral counterparty risk, but I, it's it's surprising that bridges don't end up. I feel like there should be some sort of credit rating for bridges, where some universal auditor or uh, some sort of you know blockchain security firm. Like the equivalent of standard or pause or a standard pause or Moody's or something um, in traditional finance, actually rate the bridges so that you have some kind of objective measure of security so that you can pick the most secure one. Uh, because you know a, a bridged asset isn't worth a bridged asset. You would pay less for in a rational world than you would pay for the actual underlying asset on its own native blockchain. But Anyway, sorry, that's that's a bit of a tangent. But that having been said, I think that I, I think these bridges are uh, hopefully best in class. Um, obviously, Ev Evmos had their issue earlier in the year. Like bridges generally seem to uh, seem to be a pretty scary place to be. So it, it, it's 
it's important to pick the most secure ones that you can. Hmm. I, I heard a, a business opportunity there. So for anyone that was listening that has, has the skills and the means and the desire to, uh, if you wanted to create some sort of universal auditing system for bridges to rate them, uh, that's an idea that was just mentioned by Hyperion. I would, I would certainly use that. Um, the other thing I was thinking was around P-Lunar and Y-Lunar adoption ratio. What were your observations last time, uh, you know, early this year? And how do you see things going mm, this time around with B2 as far as uh, the, yeah, the adoption ratios of P-Lunar versus Y-Lunar? As in, as in what's going to be more in demand, P-Lunar or Y-Lunar? Yeah. Yeah, I think th- this time around it'll be very different because uh, we're going to be focusing on maturities rather than perpetual assets. So P-Lunar, we, literally as the crash was coming up, we were activating P-Lunar being able to participate in prism governance. But realistically, people weren't ascribing much value to perpetual governance, you know, understandably ascribing much value to perpetual governance powers, but um, they would rather, they'd much rather have the right to perpetual yield. Um, whereas here, what, you, what you're going to have is you're going to have people paying um, for six months worth of yield or 12 months worth of yield or something like that. So realistically, that will skew the pricing much more in the favor of the P assets. In our chain, P assets are going to have a lot more utility than they did before because um, without getting too into the technicals of it, P assets are going to be what you end up using to uh, to um, in the AMM. So the AMM is going to be P assets versus C assets. So you're going to have you're going to have all of the maturities of a P asset and what and the C asset all in the same liquidity pool in like a multi asset balancer style pool. And Y assets are able to be held outside of that pool um, and staked and earning their yield. And in order to trade Y assets, there's actually no AMM with Y assets in them. Uh, there's a flash loan mechanism that allows people to borrow certain amounts of C assets, you know, use the, the mint or refract module. Um, and, uh, and that's going to be how you end up trading Y assets. It's, it's, it'll be a lot easier when I put a diagram out on, uh, on medium, but anyway, so that means that, uh, P assets are going to have this extra utility that they're going to be the only assets in the AMM. And so they're going to be earning swap fees and liquidity incentives as well. And you're also going to be able to vote with them. And your Y assets only going to give you, you know, six months or 12 months of yield, which is, which is great, but it's definitely going to put more of the value weight into the, uh, into the um, P assets. Yeah, fantastic. And, and you were touching before on obviously the P assets ability for proxy governance on other chains. I think that'll be an attractive uh, feature as well for people to uh, adopt the P asset. I can see here we've got a JG NFT. I'm going to bring it up. We'll do a question from JG and then uh, we'll try and sort of get a conclusion to that in the next sort of five minutes and then we'll do a quick TLDR debrief on the space and close off. With that being said, JG, I'm trying to bring you up, but for some reason your request has disappeared. I'm not sure. What's going on here? 
because I can see that you're requesting. Oh, there we go. Add a speaker. Let's try that. And the floor is yours. Hello, hello. Can you guys hear me? Loud and clear, sir. Go for it. Um, I'm really excited to see Prism uh, being active again. This is uh, great news. You guys bring a lot of energy. I was wondering, are you guys going to allow other yield-bearing assets to be refracted on the chain, or is it only your version of those assets? So I think we'll start, we'll start off with liquid staking derivatives, but then we are going to, uh, you know, we can start looking at other yield-bearing assets, whether it's governance tokens of DeFi protocols or, um, you know, LP tokens or, or that kind of thing. Well, I'm, I am specifically asking because uh, we are running an LSD also, and we would like to be able to participate on your platform. I think, if it, I, I think like, so ultimate, ultimately it'll be up to governance holders. Um, which assets they were, which assets get refracted? Like initially, we've you know we've created the C assets that are going to be owned by Prism governance holders, um, and so that's that's how it'll be. But the way that we've designed the system is to allow anyone to be able to come in and refract their assets. So if you guys, you know, at Backbone wanted to um, wanted to you know send your asset over, get it refracted. Then you'd be able to. Then you would be able to do that with the architecture that we have. Yay! That's what I wanted to hear. Thank you. I'm gonna go buy some C, some C Luna or <laughs> now. <laughs> awesome, love your work, JJ. Uh, and for anyone that's not familiar with what JJ's up to, go check out Backbone Labs. You can just type that into your Twitter uh, thing, and you will be able to find them. And now, with that being said, I am going to start bringing this to a close. Look, we've got about five minutes here. Anything that we haven't touched on, any important news that you wanted to share, um, any any particular call to action? What what can I what can I uh, retrieve from you here, Hyperion? Um, that is, I think we covered off a lot of the stuff. I mean, we've we've been, um, you know, it's been bear, bear market things. Um, so we kind of been heads down building and. and I guess like haven't it's a weird situation where you normally if you if if you're launch, like the first time when we launched version one um we uh you know you get to build and then you kind of get to reveal what you're doing and and start building up with community and it's kind of a strange situation to go back to the drawing board when you already have a really big community um who've supported you so much in version one and so you know, we we haven't been as active as we'd have liked to have been on the communications front throughout because realistically, we we've just been been focused at you know allocated the resources that we have um, towards building. But I think now, as uh, as we come out the other side of it, we're spending a lot more. You know, we're going to try and spend a lot more time communicating. So please, you know really excited by uh, some of the conversations that are going on in discord now and and people engaging a lot more now that we've been able to put out this article but do yeah do come join us in discord and have the conversation and we're going to make sure that we're um you know trying to communicate a lot more actively with community and so i think i think that's it like there's going to be a lot more exciting updates coming out i think the next big milestone is going to be we are publishing a um academic paper on our amm which we're very excited about we spent a lot of time looking at whether we wanted to have a limit order book or whether we want to you know or frequent batch auctions or whether we wanted to have an amm 
for a while I became a bit of an order book maxi, but seeing the things that we're now able to do with the AMM um, has, has definitely changed my mind. And so I'm excited to get that out there so that people can see. But I think it should be, it, sh it should offer a really good opportunity for um, people to earn yield, significantly higher yield on their, on their layer one assets than they were earning, than they can earn elsewhere. Um, so that's kind of like the next big milestone. And then, yeah, we're the airdrops, we're taking snapshots weekly. So if people want to qualify for the airdrops, then, um, you know, they, there's a weekly snapshot that we, that we're going to be doing. And yeah, other, other than that, hop into discord or, or let us know any, let us know any thoughts and, you know, appreciate the opportunity to come and speak about prism again. Love it. Um, just regarding that academic paper, do you have an ETA on that? Is there a, a due date? Um, it, it might be um, an after Christmas present between maybe like between Christmas and New Year, something like that. Okay. Keep your eyes and ears open for that, people that'll be having in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and just an update on the upcoming spaces we've got uh, Astroport. There's going to be a conversation happening. It's not specifically in OC space, but we're participating in it. That's in a couple of days. We've got Nauticus, we've got Squid, we've got Zodiac, and we've got Yumlet. Uh, I think that's how you say it. So the next few spaces that are coming up. And I'm going to, I'll wrap up my speaking now. I'll get, I've just noticed that Madman's been waiting for a little bit and I'm sure it's a great question. So uh, it's going to flow wise, it's going to be a little clunky, but let's just do one last question and then we'll end it straight after that question. All right. I'll do this. Madman. You should be able to speak in about three seconds. And we'll try and do this in about three minutes. I've got to jump onto a meeting. You got that question there, Madman? Oh, maybe not. Maybe it's been retracted. If that question still stands, Madman, feel free to uh, just ask it in the Twitter under the space itself once it's all done. Uh, as per usual, these spaces are recorded by terraspaces.org. Finn does great work. Check out terraspaces.org. And just a head uh, heads up, you can use it. If you want to find any space that we've done in the past, you literally just go to the search bar, type in either DOSCoin or Orbital Command, and you'll have a whole library of information in front of you from our past spaces. With that being said, Hyperion, you're a gentleman. I appreciate your time, your expertise, and your energy. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the future holds for Prism. Thanks very much. See you, mate. Have a good evening. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Ether. That was the PRISM Protocol AMA, What's Next? Hosted by Dr. Doscoin with Orbital Command. Recorded on Tuesday, December 13th, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. They say rapping is the gateway, bringing home great pain, checking that replay, sing along and we say nobody gives a fuck around my way. I make about three bucks for every thousand plays, so add it up and do the math on that. Financially speaking, why the fuck would anybody want to rap? But in this reality, the money comes from doing shows, but then where's the money go when you can't do the shows? I guess you could rap on Cameo. I've been asking all my friends if I can rap on the patio. Six feet, motherfucker, step the fuck back. Doing a little Magic pulling rabbits out the rucksack Not everybody's always in it for the money Looking like another crooked Sunday And I'm working Monday So you know I ain't stressing Left debating great methods Amazed to play Inception The base state blessed See, even with these huge sums of overall royalties The sums of money that go to the record label Per playback Can seem insultingly small Many rights holders are making around Three quarters of a cent Each time someone listens to one of their tracks Leaving only some portion of that For the actual
Living in the Great Depression Got a real regal feel Reeling in another sucker fish Out to make a deal Just to make a motherfucker wish Aw shit Now you only got two left You know what I wish? We didn't have any loose ends You know what I miss? Listening to excuses Now we're on the fence Like we forgot how to choose That's what happens When people don't know what's true In the dark eating bullshit Up like a mushroom In the lunchroom Just trying to laugh it off Meanwhile foaming at the mouth Like a rabbit dog Like a fake mate And called at the zoo It's looking like the view is getting disappointed too I'm working on the new shit, trying to produce it It's what I'm willing to go through when I'm making my music Spaces.